0: Let us turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 1. We have started this series on <coughs> on Galatians so that we can better understand the gospel. And Paul is still giving us somewhat of uh, introductory information. He's given us background information on uh, this controversy that led him to r- write the book of Galatians. So, again, I want to take my time to go through this. You may feel this is boring. Why do I, I have to understand Paul's biography and, and what led him up to this? But it is important that we understand uh, what's going on in Paul's mind and what led him to write this book. Paul here in chapter one and and in chapter two, Paul is writing more from a biographical uh, standpoint. He is working on uh, defending the gospel. And so he starts defending the gospel by defending his apostleship. Several years ago, uh, we had a family of about nine people who joined our church. And as usual, uh, they joined the church with excitement and a desire to serve. But very quickly, I noticed that something was wrong. Immediately, in every ministry that they had joined, uh, I started to get uh, a lot of intense feedback. I'll just say it that way. (laughs) Uh, Better known as complaints. They were literally starting arguments in the middle of our cell groups. There was conflict in our children's ministry. Almost the entire praise and worship team threatened to quit. And I was receiving phone calls from catering companies on contracts that we had signed in the church's name that I knew nothing about. So, back then... I suffered from the same problem my mentor in seminary suffered from. He said that one of his seminary professors told him that he would not make a good pastor because he was too nice. And so he said, well, I thought as a pastor you're supposed to be nice. He said, yeah, but not as nice as you. And so I suffered from the same problem. And so on and on for 10 months, we had these problems and and, and me uh, being a, a pastor of just about five years, I thought that the way to meet every single problem was by offering grace. And so I started taking them out to lunch and talking to them and trying to figure out what's going on. And, and, and it seemed that the more grace I gave them, the greater the problems became. Because some people believe that grace is a weakness that needs to be exploited. So the situation came to a head with three things that happened. First, one person met with our cell group leader and had a conversation about changing the purpose of the cell groups. And when that person said, well, this is the reason pastor set the cell groups up. These are the things that the cell groups are designed to do. That person says, we don't need to listen to pastor. We can do this ourselves. A second family member around the same time disagreed with me, I guess, saying that they shouldn't be allowed to go out and book events in the church's name and We don't know nothing about it, but we're obligated for $13,000 crab feast. And they went to one of our trustees and said, we don't need to listen to pastor. God speaks to us, too. The last thing that happened was I spoke to the person who was causing trouble on praise and worship. And uh, I remember having a conversation and the person said, well, pastor, did you? Pray and ask God for leaders? Of course I pray and ask God for leaders. And, uh, well, do you think that God sent me here? Well, of course, you, you joined the church, so I'm assuming that God sent you here. And with a straight face, he said, then don't offer me any suggestions about my ministry. And the grace of God just poured over me. <laughs> Because East Baltimore Larry did not respond, I said. <laughs> immediately, I was I was I was transported in my mind back to the corner of North and Broadway, and the Lord said, "Be quiet." <laughs> so I said, um. I said, well, let's just have a meeting. We need to just talk, kind of talk about this, and so, so we we met. And I said, you know, I I know me. I had to I had to bring some backup. I said, so Antonio, I just need you to sit in on, on this meeting with me, and just you know, I just need someone to just listen and make sure that you know the conversation is is going. Because I know we need always need to take someone to always be able to verify what happened. But the conversation ended abruptly when he interrupted me and said. Shouted, really, why do I have to listen to you? And then East Baltimore Larry couldn't be held back. <laughs> and all I remember is Antonio's eyes. <laughs> I lost it. I didn't respond well. I didn't use any bad words, but, you know, I let him know that this would be his His and his whole family's last day at the Upper Room Worship Center. (laughs) Tell him I say hi too. God bless him. Wherever the Lord has taken him. But I didn't respond well. I did not respond well, and I didn't respond well. Not because. He challenged my authority. See, anyone here at the upper room knows that, you know, I'm I'm not big on you doing what I say. I don't have a, I don't, you don't have to agree with me. My concern has always been, for anyone who knows me, is that I treat the upper room like family, like my very own children. And when the unity of the church is threatened, I must respond. When the unity of the church is threatened, I have to respond. I have to go over to Paul told Timothy and Titus, rebuke them. Okay, so, <laughs> so I had to switch off the grace and put on the rebuking hat. Okay, Now, I believe that Paul is addressing something very similar that happened in his life and ministry in the book of Galatians. Paul's authority is being challenged In the book of um, in this time. And so he writes this book to address the challenge to his authority. But again, just like me, I do not think Paul was responding just because he was being personally attacked. Paul was responding because there was something larger at stake. Paul was responding because his message, the gospel itself, was under attack. And so by attacking Paul's apostleship, these Judaizers were actually undermining the gospel itself. So Paul, in defending his apostleship, he was shoring up the foundation for the message that he himself was preaching. Paul begins here to address his the Judaizers because the first thing, that someone will do to undermine your ministry is not to debate your teachings. They will attack you personally. The very first thing someone will do in order to undermine your ministry is not to attack what you have taught or preached. They will attack you as a person. And this is exactly what these Judaizers were doing (coughs) from the. Text It appears that the Judaizers were saying that Paul had received his apostleship from the other apostles. That Peter and James and John and the other apostles are the ones who made Paul an apostle, but Paul somehow misunderstood the gospel. That somehow Paul misunderstood the message that the other apostles were preaching. And so, therefore, Paul was less authoritative than the other apostles who were allowing people to be circumcised. So Paul defends his apostleship by explaining his origin. Now, we will look here in verse 11. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Now, Paul is reviewing how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. We know that Paul received his apostleship from Jesus Christ himself on the road to Damascus. This happened probably within a year of Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, which would have occurred occurred in April of AD 32. Within a year, the church was growing so rapidly that it brought them into conflict immediately with the Jews. And this conflict culminated in the stoning of Peter. I'm sorry, of um, of Stephen. And Paul, being there an accomplice to Stephen's stoning, he was so um, zealous for Judaism (coughs) that he began to travel from city to city tracking down Christians, And throwing them in prison. And it got so bad that Christians began to flee from Jerusalem and spreading the gospel everywhere they went. Now, Paul, tracking them and going through different cities on the road to Damascus. We all know the story in Acts chapter 9. Jesus appears to Paul. And Paul is knocked from his horse. He's blinded. And he's hearing this voice with, that's telling him that he is persecuting Jesus himself. You know that then Ananias, three days later, meets with Paul and he's blinded. Ananias lays his hands on Paul and he again receives his sight. <clears throat> but Paul is so changed by this that he is now beginning to preach the gospel that he tried to destroy. Paul is saying that the message that he is receiving does not come from man. It did not come from the apostles. He was not taught this, but he was given a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to, again, real quick, look just at verse 15 and 16, to see how intimate this revelation was for Paul. Paul does not say that God revealed Jesus to him. He says, verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated uh, me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, When Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, he did not just appear to Paul and give Paul a message. This intimate encounter with Jesus was so personal and so real to Paul that it radically impacted everything in Paul. It changed the way he understood the Old Testament. It changed the way he lived his life. It changed him from from persecuting Christians to desiring to be the top Christian. All of the people that I persecuted and killed, I'm going to go out and, and reach way more people for Christ because Jesus was revealed in him. Paul's message did not come from man. It came from an intimate, radical, personal relationship with Jesus Christ himself, the risen Lord. And when you have that kind of intimate and personal relationship with Jesus, you cannot stay the same. I like talking to people who say they have an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but their life doesn't change. (laughs) And and, and it makes me wonder, uh, are you in touch with the same Jesus that Paul spoke about? Because Jesus, when he reveals himself to you, he does so in such a way that you love him so intimately and so deeply and so personally that you want to just live your life in a way that pleases him. Paul is recounting how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And this faith was not founded upon someone else's uh, uh, preaching of the gospel It was founded upon Jesus himself reaching out to Paul, calling Paul and making him an apostle. The second thing that Paul addresses here in his background is he wants to confirm that his message is not different than the other apostles message. So, again, the Judaizers, these people who were going to Galatia and saying that Paul was preaching a different gospel than the other apostles, they were trying to play up the differences in the message between Paul and Peter. And yet, Paul wants to make sure, he wants to be careful to show that his message is not at odds with the other apostles. He wanted his readers to know that although his apostleship was independent of the other apostles, his message was confirmed by the other apostles. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with us. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest I by any means might run or had run in vain. Verse six. But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, notice what Paul is saying here. Paul says that after 14 years of ministering to Gentiles, he decided to go and meet with Peter and the other apostles because he wanted to make sure that he wanted to compare notes. Let's make sure we're on the same page. And so he goes up not because he feels that they were greater than him, because, again, Paul says, those people who seem to be something, they they added nothing to me. (laughs) (laughs) all right. But uh, the point he's making is he did not go up to get approval from the other apostles, but he wanted to make sure that they were preaching the same gospel. And he brings this up because there are some who wanted to exploit, right, the differences in the message that they were preaching. I'll address that in a minute. He takes the pains to show that when he explained to them the gospel that he was preaching, Peter, James, and John affirmed affirmed his message and gave Paul and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, showing that they were in agreement with their ministry and said that they could continue to go with to the Gentiles and that the other apostles will focus on the Jews. Now, what is Paul addressing here when he says that they would that he would go to the Gentiles and the other apostles will go to the Jews? We must recognize that there are differences in not the gospel itself, but the application of the gospel towards those who are Jews and towards us who are Gentiles. There is not a different gospel for Jews and Gentiles. There is a different, different application of that gospel for those who are Jews and for those who were Gentiles. Namely, Peter and the other apostles allowed circumcision with respect to the Jews. And Paul did not allow circumcision with respect to Gentiles. These Judaizers, these people who were Paul's opponents, they believed that Paul's message was at odds with the other apostles. But the truth is, these Judaizers misunderstood the full teaching of the gospel. Now, Paul sees this distinction not as being rooted in the gospel, but he sees this as being rooted in the difference between his ministry and Peter's ministry. Paul's ministry was to Gentiles and Peter's ministry was to Jews. What does that mean? And then I'll bring this to an application with the last part of this this section. Jews had a cultural practice of circumcision. It came with the the law, right? Genesis chapter 15, God uh, brings Abraham into a relationship with himself. Genesis chapter 17, he gives him the sign of circumcision as the sign of the covenant. It became such a part of the nation of Israel because of the law that on the eighth day, after every male was born, he had to be circumcised and then he was given his name. And anyone who was not circumcised, they were cut off from the nation of Israel. It was a cultural practice that was deeply ingrained in Judaism. Now, when you become a Christian, you do not have to stop being a Jew. You don't have to change your culture in order to become a Christian. If you are culturally practicing circumcision and the law and these feasts, You can be a Christian and continue to be circumcised and not eat crabs. I don't know how you could do that if if you're from Baltimore, but. (laughs) But you don't have to eat crabs and shellfish and you can stick to the dietary laws in Leviticus chapter 11. You can do all of those things and still be a Christian. But for Gentiles. Those of of us, none of us are are Jews in here, right? For all of us who are Gentiles, okay? For all of us who are Gentiles, we didn't grow up in a culture, right? Speaking specifically of of the Galatians. They didn't grow up in a culture where they must be circumcised in order to be a part of the people of God. They, They didn't grow up and have to follow dietary laws in order to be a part of the people of God. They didn't grow up having to, to, to keep these feast days in order to have a relationship with God. So, Paul is saying, you don't have to be circumcised, follow the law in order to have a relationship with God. You just need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You don't have to culturally become a Jew before you become a Christian. The Judaizers thought Paul was confused. They believed that you had to trust Jesus by faith, but in order to become sanctified and progress in that relationship, you had to then follow the law. And Paul is very adamant. He wants to go to the mat on this issue, that faith in Christ is all you need. He goes so far as to say later in the book of Galatians that if you are circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. You have fallen from grace. Paul wanted to make sure that Gentiles understood that they did not have to adopt Jewish practices in order to come to faith in Christ. Our salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. And anything that we try to add to our faith in Christ nullifies the grace of God. It is by his mercy he has saved us, as Paul said to Titus. In chapter one, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. Your works mean nothing. When it comes to salvation in Christ. Now, if you are a Jew, you know, and we do, we have Jews today who call themselves Messianic Jews. They have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, but they continue to live kosher lives. They continue to, to adopt the practices of Judaism. And I say, amen. Right. Don't turn your back on your heritage, right? You can, you can love God and still keep your cultural practice, okay? As long as it does not conflict with the gospel. I'll say that, okay? But for those of us who are Gentiles, we don't have to convert to being Jews before we want to come to Jesus Christ. We can just come to him as we are, by faith. Paul's ministry was to Gentiles, and therefore he he applied the gospel to Gentiles in their context. And Peter's message was to Jews, so he applied the gospel to the Jews in their context. It is the same gospel, just applied to different contexts. But even as we'll see next week in at the end of chapter 2, Peter says... And Paul says to Peter, verse 14, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are by nature Jews and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by works of law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, Even we talking about the apostles, the Jews, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. We're justified by faith. Alone. Not by our own good works. Not by trying to keep a list of rules or commandments. We are justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. His work is perfect, not our own. The last thing I want to do before I give us two modern examples is address the challenge to Paul's message. I want you to look back at chapter 2. And I want to look at verses three through five. I skipped these verses before, but I want to look at at this because I think that uh, Paul makes a reference uh, in in, uh, Galatians chapter five, verse 11. Um, uh, I believe that the Judaizers are accusing Paul of hypocrisy. Paul says in uh, chapter five, verse 11, he says, if I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? And I believe that uh, that what they were, were alluding to is that Paul used to preach circumcision, and he did, right? As a Jew, he did used to preach um, circumcision. And it's possible that they would have believed that Paul was being hypocritical because even though um, I believe that Acts chapter 16, is um, the, the events of Acts chapter 16 took place after Paul wrote the book of Galatians, it's possible that there are different examples of this that were not written up in scripture. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul had Timothy circumcised in order to have a more fruitful ministry among the Jews. I want you to look at that real quick. Acts chapter 16. I know I told you to look in Galatians 2, but let me look. Let's look at Acts 16 first. Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Verse one. Acts sixteen one. says, then he came to Derbe and Lystra and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. But his father was Greek, so his mother was, a, um, was Jewish and his father was Greek, was a Gentile. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now, what is going on here? Paul here is doing his ministry. He's doing a ministry in an area. There's a, there's a lot of Jews. And and now there's a big stir about Paul doing his ministry among Jews. What is the problem? This gentleman that is ministering with you has not been circumcised. Paul says, okay, let's let's circumcise him. Now, is Paul contradicting his message? I don't believe he is. Because Timothy was a Jew. (laughs) His mother was Jewish. We know that, as Paul has said elsewhere, that Timothy was trained by his mother and his grandmother, and he knew the scriptures. He was raised as a Jew, even though his father was a Gentile. And so Paul and Timothy could have a fruitful ministry among the Jews. Timothy just gonna get circumcised. <laughs> But listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 about Titus. Remember, Paul writes his pastoral epistles. He writes these pastoral epistles to who? Timothy and Titus. Listen to what he says in Galatians chapter 2 about Titus. These people want to come in and they want Titus, who is 100% Gentile. They want Titus to be circumcised. What does Paul say? Verse 3. Yet even... Not not yet. Not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. Why? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Timothy, it's okay for you to get circumcised because you're a Jew. That's your culture. That's your heritage. Yeah, but we want the other guy to get circumcised too. No, he will not be circumcised. Well, the other apostles allow people, they're Jews. He's not being circumcised. And the reason I'm going to be adamant on this and go to the mat and argue about this is because I want to make sure the truth of the gospel is clear. That circumcision and keeping the law has nothing to do with your faith in Jesus Christ. You can be a Gentile, an uncircumcised Gentile, and still have faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's ministry, I'm sorry, back up, circumcision was a cultural practice for Jews. Paul wanted to make sure that Jews recognized they did not have to reject their culture in order to accept Christ, although they needed to understand that circumcision in no way merited the grace of salvation, nor did it complete their sanctification. And we saw that last week or how how Paul describes they were looking to to circumcision and the law to complete their sanctification, something these Judaizers did not understand. Paul's ministry was to Gentiles who did not have circumcision as a cultural heritage. Paul made it clear that this distinction was confirmed by the apostles. He said that they gave us the right hand of fellowship. And Paul even confirms this distinction in his own ministry. Again, from Acts chapter 16 and what he wrote in Galatians chapter 2. Paul is making sure, by being so rigid in his stance, he is making sure that we understand the faithful preaching of the gospel and so that our practices don't undermine the truth of the gospel, something that he will address at the end of chapter two with Peter. Now, remember, um, with Peter, Peter, when he came to Antioch to meet Paul, right, he was eating ham sandwiches. You know, they had crabs. They they put the old Bay season on it. They, he was he was he was having fun with all of the Gentiles to all of the other Jews showed up. And then he was like, who put this ham on my sandwich? You know? <laughs> right? right? He got up and started eating at the other table. Right. And Paul says, chapter 2, verse 14, that he confronted Peter because he was not living out the truth of the gospel. He was preaching the right message, but his actions were undermining the truth of the gospel. Because sometimes we can say the right things, but people will watch our lives. <laughs> and when people watch our lives, they're like, that can't be true. Now, let me give you two modern examples, and, and then I'm finished. Two modern examples. I don't know about anyone in this room, but when you went to church and <laughs> uh, said you wanted to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I bet there's a zero percent chance that they shared the gospel with you and said, Now let's go over in the next room and we had to give you um circumcise you. <laughs> okay. Now if they did, you would have been like, uh I'm gonna go to the next church and find <laughs> Okay, like this, this church is weird. Okay. Okay. So so we don't readily see we don't readily see the application here because again no one is asked to be circumcised when they say they want to be believed, um, uh, have faith in Jesus. OK, so what are some examples of this today? What are some some things that that at least in my opinion, people uh, say to add to the gospel um, that's needed that for you to add to your faith uh, um, to, um, to have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, again, I understand that. Uh, Some of these things are just denominational differences, but I believe that um, that these denominational differences are exactly what um, is a direct can be directly applied to what Paul is saying here in Galatians. When I was at Morgan. um, I remember talking to this guy who was a member of another church uh, in the city and. Uh, we got to talking about our, um about faith in Jesus Christ. And <laughs> and so in talking to him, uh he asked me, "But well, when you were baptized, d- did you speak in tongues when you came out of the water?" And I said, "No, I no, I I just went down wet and came back up." That was just I didn't I didn't come up speaking in tongues. I just, you know. Well, see, I'm not sure that you're really saved then. He says, because when you get baptized, you're supposed to speak in tongues to prove that you are really saved. And so we're having this conversation back and forth. And and, and so he says, well, when they baptized you, did they baptize you in the name of Jesus? And I said, well, no, my church baptizes in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, see, that's the problem. See, this is what you got to do. You got to come to my church. And we're going to baptize you properly so that you can get, speak in tongues and know that you're really saved. I'm like, wow, so I can believe in Jesus. But if I get baptized wrong, I'm like, I don't even know how you baptize wrong. I thought you just get wet and come back out of the water. But, <laughs> but But if I get baptized wrong and I don't speak in tongues, I'm really not saved. So all we did was was substitute, have faith in Jesus and get circumcised with have faith in Jesus and speak in tongues. Now, I don't have a problem with with people speaking in tongues. If that's your spiritual gift, go ahead and speak it. All I'm saying is. Speaking in tongues does not get you into heaven. Nor does it prove that you're more spiritual. It's a spiritual gift. It is a spiritual gift. Second, um, second one I thought about is I have a lot of (laughs) a lot of friends who um, that uh, they go to church and and they're taught that when you get saved, you don't immediately receive the Holy Spirit. That. Uh, if if it, you get saved and, and your life is, will just be normal, but, but what you really got to do is tarry for the Holy Ghost. And you got to you got to fast and pray and plead with God to, to give you the Holy Spirit. And, and then, you know, after many days of doing that, however, so often that God will give you the spirit. And then you'll be empowered to live a, a, a different kind of life on a different spiritual level. And uh, I just say, well, have you ever read the book of Ephesians? Just just wondering if you've ever read the book of Ephesians. I could take take, take them to a whole bunch of verses, but I just take them to Ephesians chapter one. Very, very familiar passage. Ver- Ephesians chapter one. Paul is writing about all of these spiritual blessings that we receive because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, to what he says in verse 13, he says, Ephesians one, verse 13 in him. You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He says, the moment you believed. You were sealed by the Holy Spirit. And you receiving the Holy Spirit the moment you believed is the guarantee that he's going to come back for you one day. Receiving the Holy Spirit is not something subsequent to faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is given to you the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ because as Jesus said the night before he was crucified, the Holy Spirit is his presence residing in you. Faith in Jesus is all you need. Now, I'm going to put a little asterisk and write the book of James. Okay? <laughs> okay? Okay? Because faith in Christ is all you need. But once you have faith in Christ, that will produce obedience. See the book of James. <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay. But that subsequent obedience has nothing to do with you getting saved. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is not founded upon your good works. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is not somehow made better because of your good works. And because I I talk to all of us on a regular basis, your relationship with Jesus Christ is not made worse by your bad works. God's love for you does not grow because you do good deeds and it is not diminished because you commit sins or bad deeds God's love comes to you for one reason and one reason only and that is because you are in Christ and because he loves his son with an infinite love he will love you with an infinite love even though you sin. So we got to stop trying to work our way into pleasing God. You can't do it. You can't work your way into making God love you anymore. And you can't sin your way into making God love you any less. He loves you because you're in Christ. And because he loves Christ, he loves you and he has committed himself to you now we should be obedient okay and we should walk in his obedience and Paul will definitely address that when we get to chapters five and six okay how we are supposed to walk in the spirit and be led by the spirit right and allow the spirit to to fill us and lead us right we should definitely do those things but we don't do that in order to be saved (laughs) We do that because we are saved and because we love him. Now, I'm going to end here. When we pick up next week, we're going to pick up uh, at the end of Galatians chapter 2. And I want us to see as we end chapter 2, I told you that before, that roughly speaking, um Galatians chapter um is broken up into three sections. Okay. Chapters one and two, Paul is, is given a biographical sketch of of um of his life, his message, his apostleship. Okay. And and in chapters three and four, and he begins at the end of chapter two with this um this um idea, he lays out his theology on uh uh the gospel and circumcision. And he begins to explain how we come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Judaizers believed that you had to put your trust in Jesus, but then you had to complement or supplement faith in Jesus with works of the law, being circumcised, eating the right types of food, making sure you pertain to all of the feasts. And Paul specifically, systematically undermines that argument because he points out to them that if you are circumcised, if you follow the law, if you think you have to add anything to faith in Jesus Christ, you are putting yourself under a curse. Because if you want to obey the law in order to have a good relationship with Jesus Christ, God doesn't grade on a curve. And he doesn't run entrance into heaven like Baltimore City Schools. 60 and above is not passing. He demands 100% obedience. You must be perfect if you want to obey the law in order to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to be perfect. Now, Not to mention that there are actually 616 laws in the Old Testament that you would have to obey perfectly. We can't even get past the first 10. (laughs) Right? We can't even get past the first 10. You know, have no other gods before me. Right? Don't make an idol. Like, well, I don't worship little blocks of wood. What kind of car you got? Why you don't come to church? I got to wash my car. Broke that one. <laughs> okay, Let's just skip down. Okay. Well, Let's let back up. Go to number four. Honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What does that mean? Oh, that mean, this is my day off of work, I'm going to sit up and eat bonbons and watch TV. I ain't, got, I ain't going to church. I watch it on TV. You're like, broke that one. <laughs> Honor your mother and father. That your days may be long on earth. They get on my nerves. Always telling me to do something. Broke that one. Make sure you ain't here by 11 o'clock. Psh, I'm coming when I want to come in. <laughs> broke that one. Bro, I consistently broke that one. <laughs> now I'll be trying to like. My father be just sitting there in the dark. he was like. <laughs> I stayed in trouble when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> don't murder. I've never killed anybody. Jesus said, if you hate your neighbor in your heart, you've already killed them. You just don't have the guts to go physically do it. Anybody hate anybody that live in that neighborhood? Anybody, anybody? Yeah. Strong dislike, strong dislike. That's hate. <laughs> Cause the command is to love your neighbor as yourself. So if I if I have a strong dislike, yeah, you 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 just like, you know, playing with the line on hate. Yeah. Don't commit adultery. I've never cheated on my wife before. Hey, we have a new device. We're gonna take all of your thoughts and play it on the screen on Sunday. You know that coworker that you just <laughs> girl, you We're gonna play your thoughts about her. Like, broke that one. <laughs> Jesus said if you lust after a woman in your heart, you've already committed adultery. You just don't have the guts to act it out. But you've already broke that one. Thou shalt not lie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just late because you know it was all this traffic on the highway. Translation: I woke up late. <laughs> all right. You know, bill collector call. Tell him I'm not here. And then you'd be like, Why are these kids always telling lies? Where they learn that from? <laughs> We can't keep the first 10. We can't keep the first 10. That's why he says by the works of the law, no one will be justified in God's sight. The law can only condemn you because you can't keep it perfectly. So what did God do? Realizing that we can't keep the law perfectly. He sent his perfect son to die in our place so that if we trust in him. Romans chapter eight. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, not by our works, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith alone, in Christ alone, is all that's needed for a good relationship with God. And any time you try to add your messed up, jacked up works (laughs) to his perfect works, you will nullify the grace of God in your life. I want us to continue to read through the book of Galatians. And I want you to keep in mind while we're working our way through the book of Galatians. We're working our way through the book of Galatians because several of us, including myself, sometimes we, we wrestle with these things because our works are not perfect. We sin, we make mistakes, we fall short of the glory of God. And sometimes we wrestle and question whether or not God still can really love us, knowing the failures in our sins, in our lives. And my answer to you as we work through the book of Galatians is, yes, he does not look at your works in order to bring you into a relationship with himself. And he's not going to use those, um, um, those same works as the criteria for keeping a relationship with himself. He loves you no matter what. Even though you have failed in the past, even though you continue to fail, even though you continue to sin, he loves you. And he is going to work to redeem and sanctify you. It's his work. He brought you to himself, Philippians chapter 1. And he who began a good work in you, he will keep on working until it's complete. He's going to keep working on you. Now, for some of us, like myself, he's going to have to work right up until the day Jesus comes back. You know. (laughs) Okay. Okay. You know, probably I probably will, you know, I probably will be delivered from road rage like right the day right before the rapture. Okay, he's like, he's like, man, it took me so long to get him to stop yelling at people going down the highway. Bring him home. All right, but (laughs) but if he started a good work in you. He's going to complete it. He does not fail. He will never leave you nor forsake you. You are his child and he will bring you home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us another opportunity to look at your word. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts because in our society we are taught, that if we want anything, we have to work for it. We're taught in most of our relationships that if we want the per- other person to be pleased with us or if we want to have a good relationship, we have to do certain things in order to make that person happy or they may walk away. And it is so easy for us to bring that same mentality into our relationship with you. But you are not like man. You have an an everlasting love that once you give that love, even though we fail you, or as Paul says, when we are faithless, you will remain faithful. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to see that our shortcomings and our failures will never uh, make you run away from us. And help us to know that that although we should be obedient to you and live a life of obedience, we will often fail. Because our good works won't also make you more proud of us. You love us because we are in Christ, in your son. And you love us perfectly the same way you love your son. And you have given us your spirit so that you can lead us and guide us and sanctify us and, and remove the sin in our lives and help us to grow more and more. But help us to realize that that growth does not depend on us. It depends on you. Because those whom you have justified, you will glorify. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to truly understand the gospel. It is not just the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is all that you have done for us in Christ. And that includes our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification on the day we see you face to face. I pray, Lord, that you would help us every single day. We will wrestle with this, but I pray that you will help us every day to... To live in the spirit and walk in the spirit and not allow ourselves to give in to the lust of the flesh, as Paul will say, say in Galatians 5. I pray that as you, Holy Spirit, will lead us, that we that we will follow you. And as we follow you and be obedient to you, we will see those sins in our lives decrease over time. But I pray that you will help us never to pat ourselves on the back as if we had some something to do with that it is your work from start to finish so we will give you all the glory we thank you now for all these things in the precious name of jesus we pray amen amen